It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. November the 14th edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Awards coming up momentarily. A few things to prattle on about before we get to them. I want to start with something said today, Tuesday morning. Jerry Jones, Cowboys owner on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Unrelated to the issue of the ongoing consternation regarding Roger Goodell's contract. I'll say something about that in a second. For now, Thursday Night Football. I thought of this earlier today. Because for decades, the NFL has been staging Thursday football. At least once a year. It dates back to, I don't know, the 50s? Or earlier than that. I've got the record in fact book here. The handy tool that Rob Stats Guerrero hates. So I refer to it all the time. Page 518 has the results of Thanksgiving football in the NFL. And let's see. They've been playing Thanksgiving Day football since 1920. And it looks like they played it pretty much every year with the exception of 1941 through 1944 during World War II. And... Since 2006, there have been three games on Thanksgiving. Before that, they were two. And uh, back in the AFL-NFL days, there were years where there were four games, two in the NFL, two in the AFL. So it's been a reality for the Cowboys every year, for the Lions every year. And we hadn't heard any complaints about it until it proliferated. That's just an observation. I made that earlier today on PFT Live, and I thought of it, again, because Jerry Jones was asked about Thursday Night Football. He said, we've been playing on Thursdays just short, short weeks and long weeks forever since I've been involved in the NFL. Nothing, not one shred of statistics shows it to be a disadvantage, shows it to be inordinately challenging physically for the players with the poster child of playing on Thursday as a result of what it does to the demand for players being rested or being healthy. Now, plenty of players have said they need more time to recover from Sunday to Sunday. And they think playing the game four days later impacts that. And I don't know how Jerry Jones or anyone else can challenge that. I doubt that they're all lying about it. You know, the body needs a certain amount of time to recover from playing in a game. And a lot of these guys don't feel better until Friday or Saturday. And there are plenty of people out there who want to defend Thursday Night Football, and they skirt around that. right? I don't know if people are looking to get jobs with NFL Network or what, but some in the media bang this drum about how Thursday Night Football is great and there's nothing wrong with it, you do have to point out the reality that for some players, they don't feel ready to go on Thursday, even if they're not injured. And I just got off of a media briefing. They do them a couple of times a week. The NFL will answer any questions. It's great. Now, they may not give you an answer that you like, but they'll answer any question. They'll field any question. I don't know how many media members are on it. Some of them don't understand how to mute their phones. Some of them try to use speaker and you can't understand what the hell they're saying. Hopefully people will all figure that out in time. But today they had, I think it was their chief medical officer, who went on and on about the concussion protocol and frankly spoke so fast I got nothing out of it. But then he was asked about Thursday Night Football injury rates. That was a topic that was tipped off by Joe Lockhart before introducing the chief medical officer. And... What he said was, they've looked at it over the last five years. The injury rate per game is lower on Thursday than it is on Saturday, Sunday, or Monday games, and even based on the interval of delay between games. 
four days, five days, six days, seven days, 10 days, whatever, four days has the lowest injury rate. Now, here's the thing. That's fine. I'm not doubting that, right? They have access to the numbers. I'm not saying that they are cooking the numbers. They could if they want to. How's anybody going to dispute it? We don't have comprehensive access to the numbers. We can go back and look at it. But I don't mean to suggest, and I'm not saying that in a passive-aggressive way, like, oh, I don't mean to, I really don't mean to suggest that I'm doubting it. But there's no way to double-check it. There's no objective way. I mean, I guess you could review every single injury report and every player listed on the injury report uh, for years. You can go back over every injury report and scour it over. I guess it's not impossible. But here, here's the here's the thing. That glosses over the question that raised, gets raised by players about recovery time. Whether or not you get injured in a Thursday game or a Sunday game or a Saturday game or a Monday game, that has nothing to do with recovery time and feeling like yourself. You know, what do they say? Late in the year, nobody's 100%, right? There's injuries that get listed, and then there's the bumps and bruises that you carry around. I'll I'll make the point, and I can't remember if I said this on PFT Live, PFT PM. I'm doing so much of this, it's all blurring together. But back in 2000, 35 years old, I think I said it here yesterday or last week, or I don't know, but playing touch football for a couple of hours every Saturday morning. And I mean, I wasn't injured, but I had trouble getting out of bed the next day, and my knees hurt and my ankles hurt and my arms hurt and my sides hurt and later in the week it would go away. And and you know, I'm not getting massages and sitting in cold tubs and doing all the things necessary to get myself back to 100% quickly, but but there is a, a wear and tear on your body independent of injury that happens. So, you know, whether it's the league or the media, some in the media, to brush this off, I think that's irresponsible. And it's just false. Now, that said, they've been playing short week football for decades. And and the irony is, I feel like some players object to it simply because they sense that it's a money grab without realizing they get a big chunk of the money. But I think the money means more to 32 owners than it does to 1,700 players. And, and it's one of those things like, well, you guys decided to do this and we're just here. We just work here. And And I think it's human nature to complain about things especially when relations between labor and management aren't great. But, but the bottom line is this. Thursday football's been around a long time. And on Thanksgiving, I don't know, we look the other way because it's special. It feels special. Even now, with Thursday football all year long, there's something about Thanksgiving. A 12.30 Eastern kickoff on a Thursday. A 3.30 Eastern kickoff on a Thursday. That's what it always used to be. The night game came in 2006. So anyway, I don't think it's going anywhere. The one factor to remember... If there's no three-letter network that wants to pony up big money to broadcast it next year because the contract expires this year with CBS and NBC, give very interesting. And even if the broadcast component goes away, you're still going to have, what is it, like five or six of those games on NFL Network because they need those games on NFL Network to justify whatever they're charging for cable providers, DirecTV, etc., because you, you take away live games and all of a sudden NFL Network is less valuable to the people who are expected to pay for it. All right, before we go any farther, please allow me to remind you of our newest sponsor, harrys.com. I, I'll admit, it's been a busy day and I haven't made it down to the mailbox yet to retrieve my box from Harry's, but I soon will, and I intend to use it. I've heard good things about it from people who have, and I have no reason to dispute them. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I do have no reason to dispute them. Harry's is confident you're going to love their blades. 
You'll get their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com slash PFT. You pay for the shipping, you get the free set. Great shave at a fair price. Over 3 million guys have switched to Harry's, founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were fed up with buying overpriced razors. They started Harry's to fix shaving. They bought their own German factory with over 100 years of blade-making experience to ensure the highest quality. All products are backed by 100% quality guarantee. Harry's offers blades at half the price of the leading five-blade razor, selling directly to you via the Internet. So claim your free trial offer right now, harrys.com slash PFT. $13 value for free when you sign up. You just cover the shipping. Your trial set includes four items. A weighted ergonomic, I love that word, razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Because the last thing you want to do is stick the thing in your pocket and have it like slice um, a sensitive area that is within distance of your pocket. So to get your free trial set, go to harrys.com slash PFT right now. That's harrys.com slash PFT. All right, more on this Jerry Jones cease and desist. He's been asked to cease and desist, cease and desist his efforts to fight against the commissioner's new contract. He said on 105.3 The Fan today that he has no plan to back off in his opposition. No, he said, and that's the best way to answer that. Well, they've told him, stop it or you'll face the consequences. Fines, loss of draft pick, maybe a suspension. And again, I know he can scoff and Stephen Jones can scoff and anyone can scoff. The truth is this. There has been discussion among owners about invoking Article 8, the forfeiture of the franchise provision, in the event that there's a finding of conduct detrimental to the welfare of the league. And they're specifically upset about the efforts to instigate Papa John's to publicly take a crap on the NFL. So we'll see where this goes. But if Jerry's not backing off, it's going to continue. And Jerry's point is, what's the hurry? What's the rush? Why do we have to do it? Now, on this media briefing today, NFL spokesman Jerry Lockhart said, you know, we've got some stuff coming up, and it's useful to have certainty. You've got broadcast TV contracts. You've got a labor deal. And you don't want to run out the string of the commissioner's extension, current contract. And then you get to a point where you don't have time to do the new one. So... I continue to come back to this point, and I asked Joe Lockhart during the media briefing today, and the answer was unsatisfactory. But my point is, why a procedure where you authorize the compensation committee to go out and and execute the contract within parameters provided to them in advance? Why not just say, go negotiate the contract with Goodell, bring it back to us, and we'll approve it, or we won't approve it. And if we don't approve it, you go back, and you keep working. Instead of giving pre-approval within parameters that maybe you're being abused, right? I mean, delegating the task of essentially opening the coffers to the commissioner by six owners, is that is that responsible? Well, they decided to do it, 32 to nothing, and Jerry agreed. That's what's weird about this. Everything's weird about it, and it's not good for the NFL, but I don't know that the NFL knows how to make it go away. And I don't know that they necessarily want it to go away because from the commissioner's perspective, the only way it goes away is if he accepts the offer that's currently on the table. And that, and that look, here's the bottom line. If whatever the owners were currently willing to do was okay with Cadell, this would be over. So he's part of this. It, it, logic, basic logic. 
if it was fine and dandy with him, he'd sign it, it would be done, and everyone can move on. So he is part of this. And he's managed to keep a low profile. And, and maybe he's kept a low profile because he doesn't want people to put the dots together and realize, well, you know what? One of the reasons this isn't done is because whatever they're offering, Roger wants more. And maybe Roger wants more than whatever authorization the compensation committee was given. A, an interesting issue came up today. And I usually like to spot these things before they happen. And I wish I'd thought of this. I'm embarrassed I didn't. Greg Olson calling the Rams-Vikings game. Greg Olson, the same Panthers tight end. Hired by Fox to handle that game. I was on with Paul Allen today, and he asked me about And I didn't even see it coming. I didn't know what he was getting at. I thought he was going to ask me a flex question of the Panthers-Vikings game. He said, you know, we've got the Panthers coming up in a few weeks. I said, yeah, go on. And, you know, Greg Olson plays for the Panthers. Yeah, I know. I'm aware. And, and he's going to be calling the game this weekend for Fox. Like, holy shit. He's right. That's a problem. Because these broadcasters go to practice, they have production meetings, et cetera, et cetera. So I wrote it up. Mike Zimmer was asked about it yesterday, and he basically said, I'll leave that to someone higher up than me. Meaning, look, if he didn't have a problem with it, he just said, I don't have a problem with it. He clearly has a problem with it. Fox issued a statement saying, due to the Vikings' concerns, they're going to restrict Greg Olson's access. I, I think that I think that the Vikings, I don't know this yet, I think the Vikings' preference would be to eliminate his access. To have someone else handle the game. And here's what's odd to me, right? Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis, I think, are the number two team at Fox. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman is number one. I'm looking at week 11. And it's like, I don't know what the number one game is, but how is there a game better than Rams at Vikings? Both teams are seven and two. I guess Buck and Aikman will be at Washington, New Orleans, but I mean, Washington's four and five. The 425 Eastern game this week is Kansas City, Oakland, not Kansas City, Oakland, New England, Oakland, and Mexico City. That's CBS. Detroit and Chicago. Here are the Fox games. As I said, Detroit and Chicago, Arizona and Houston, Rams at Vikings, Washington at the Saints, Buffalo at the Chargers at 405 Eastern, and that's it. Why not just have Buck and Aikman do that game? Right? How hard would that be? That's an easy fix. Now, look, I don't know what happens if you assign, you know, you still have the issue. If you assign Greg Olson, a current player, to call a game. You know, let me, let me, let me examine that. Detroit and Chicago. I think both have already played. Both have already played the Panthers. Put them on that game. I mean, Detroit, I guess, could play the Panthers in the playoffs, but they don't play them over the balance of the regular season. Arizona and Houston. That one should be a no-brainer. The Panthers don't play the Texans, and I don't know if they play the Cardinals or not coming up. I guess I could look. I don't think they do, but even then, the Panthers aren't exactly, I mean, the Cardinals aren't exactly playoff contenders, and I do not see Carolina on the docket this year for the Arizona Cardinals. That that would have been a better game for him to be assigned to. Washington, New Orleans, we know they play the Saints again. That's not good. Buffalo and the Chargers, it's a couple of, it's a couple of AFC teams. They've already played the Bills. They're not playing the Chargers. So it doesn't make sense to me that he gets assigned to that game. And I think that the Vikings are fully within their rights to say, just assign someone else to the game or assign him to a different game if you want him to work. Uh, uh, as a one-time thing, why are you assigning him to a game that involves a team that his team plays in three weeks? Send him to L.A., Buffalo Chargers. Let him do that game. And, and it's not like, here's the thing, and I get back to this all the time, and I like Greg Olson. 
Great player, great guy. Nobody's going to tune in to watch Rams Vikings because Greg Olson is on the broadcast. That doesn't enhance anything for anyone. And if that's not Greg Olson, that's anybody. You could, you could put Peyton Manning in the booth. No one's going to tune in who wasn't already going to tune in. You could put Tom Brady in. No one's going to tune in who wasn't going to tune in. Bud Grant, no one's going to, well, maybe some Vikings fans would. But no one, for the most part, is going to tune in to a broadcast based upon who's in the booth. So why complicate it at all? Because here's the thing. Even if Olsen's access is limited, he's working with Charles Davis and Kevin Burkhart. They're going to be at practice. They're going to be at meetings, and they're going to prepare for the broadcast. So what? Charles Davis isn't going to blurt something out while they're trying to prepare for what they're going to say during the game? So I think the best move is just put Olsen on a different game, a game that doesn't involve a team that his team's going to play over the balance of the year. All right, speaking of the Saints, Drew Brees said on radio in San Diego he plans to stay in New Orleans. That's fine, but the reality is there's nothing the Saints can do to keep him from hitting the open market. And he can entertain any offer he wants, and he can sign with another team if someone makes an offer dramatically greater than what the Saints offer. So he can say all the right things publicly. I want to stay. I want to stay. I want to stay. And then when it's time to put money on the table... Another team offers dramatically more. What do you do? I mean, if another team that he's never played for sees him as more valuable than the team he's been with since 2006, how do you fault him for leaving? So, you know, there's a political reality to this. He can't come out and say, I want to leave. They're in the middle of a special season. He can't come out and say anything other than, I want to stay here. I want to finish my career here. Because if he ever leaves, it can't be his fault. And the gap would have to be so big that the average fan would look at it and say, well, I mean, why, why would you take $10 million less to stay with the Saints or whatever the number ends up being? But they're going to carry a huge cap number next year for him if he's there or not. And they have to factor that in to his contract. I'm pulling that up now. Pardon me while I filibuster as I type in Drew Brees' name into the valuablespotrack.com contract database. Next year... 2018. Oh, boy. Wait a minute. That can't be right. Is that right? $18 million next year counts against his name, whether he's on the team or not. $18 million. $18 million for next year. And so if he's on the team, $18 million is the starting point. Anything they pay him next year, the $18 million is already part of it. So it would have to be a multi-year deal with a huge signing bonus that's spread out. And at some point, they are going to pay the piper in a big way when Drew Brees moves on. It's either going to be $18 million next year as he plays for someone else or some bigger number at, whenever they rip the Band-Aid off once and for all and Drew Brees moves on. I want to say one quick thing about the power rankings before I do the awards. This is the first week that I can remember this year where all nine teams at the top nine stayed put. The only team that fell out of the top 10 was the Cowboys. They fell to 14. The Jaguars moved from 12 to 10. Top 10, Eagles at 1, Patriots 2, Steelers 3, Rams 4, Vikings 5, Saints 6, Chiefs 7, Seahawks 8, Panthers 9, Jaguars 10. And it's pretty simple. The only team with fewer than four losses not in the top 10 is the Titans. They're a sluggish 6-3. And, and our Titans fans, before you complain, if you want to get in the top 10, beat the Steelers. I guarantee you, if the Titans beat the Steelers Thursday night, they'll be in the top 10. And at 32, the Browns. 31, the Giants. There's a shock. 30, 
the 49ers. Yeah, they got a win, but there's, yeah. you know, there's no team with only two wins. You got three or one. So it's kind of hard to bump the 49ers higher than 30 with one win. All right, awards time. Offensive player of the week. A, a guy that uh, we had a little debate in the NBC viewing room on Sunday as to whether he's a true star receiver. I think Adam Thielen is. And I'm going to call Adam Thielen the offensive player of the week. He had a great performance on Sunday for the Vikings. It seems like he's always open. He beat Josh Norman multiple times. Eight catches, 171 yards, and a touchdown. And he just keeps getting it done. The one disappointing moment, there was a key third down late in the game where the Vikings were trying to put the thing away, and he did like a rolling catch on the ground, and he, he dropped it. He didn't secure it. That's, that's uncharacteristic for him. Mankato State, where the Vikings have had training camp for years, although they're leaving next year, undrafted, not invited to the scouting combine. He's worked and he's worked and he's worked and he's worked. He emerged last year. He got a big contract, and he's more than earning it this year. Eight catches, 171 yards, and a touchdown, the Offensive Player of the Week for Week 10. Defensive Player of the Week, I mean, if you get six sacks, right, even if the other team is too stupid to help the left tackle, and the left tackle is saying Olay on every snap, and they're not rolling Dak Prescott away from pressure. I don't care what the excuse is for not changing. They didn't change, and Adrian Claiborne got six sacks. And to his credit, he says, I got one move, and I just kept using it. And it worked. Six sacks. Nearly 27 years to the day since Derek Thomas set the single-game record of seven sacks against the Seahawks. And Dave Craig, Dave Craig with his little hands, he fumbled all the time because he had little hands. Small hands. Dante Culpepper had that too. His hands were disproportionately small in comparison to his body, and he he fumbled a lot. Rookie of the week, I've ignored Alvin Kamara in the past because pretty much every week I find a way to give it to Deshaun Watson. Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints. 12 carries for 106 yards, 8.8 yards per carry, and a touchdown as part of a complete and total demolition of the Buffalo Bills. And I'm going to fold that one into win of the week. Win of the week is the Saints just absolutely obliterating the Bills. It was embarrassing. It was hideous for the Bills and great for the Saints who ran their record to 7-2 and two with their seventh straight win. And I think back to Thursday, two Thursdays ago, after the Bills lost to the Jets, LaShawn McCoy justified it by saying, well, you know, when we were losing and we had a chip on our shoulder because you guys didn't believe in us, then we started winning and people started to praise us. And then we, you know, we kind of lost our focus. And so it's good for us that we lost. Well, how, well, okay, it is. You had three extra days to prepare for the Saints, and you lost 47 to 10. I don't, I don't think he said that that was a good loss on Sunday. That was a horrible loss for the Bills. A great win for the Saints. And the Saints are built to contend in January because they run the ball and they play great defense. Something I never thought I would say about a New Orleans Saints team coached by Sean Payton, and led by Drew Brees. Coach of the week, Kyle Shanahan, come on down. They, they didn't douse him with the Gatorade bucket. They doused him with cups of Gatorade. But, hey, he got his win. And, look, he's got a team that isn't playing for anything, and they faced a team in the Giants that isn't playing for anything. And the Giants are standing around, watching C.J. Beathard run it in when it was 17-13 early in the fourth quarter. 
The 49ers kept their focus. The 49ers kept pushing. The 49ers get their win. First win of the career of Kyle Shanahan. And, and look, he's, he will have more. He, he's not destined to have like a Hugh Jackson experience or a Rich Cotite. Shanahan's going to get more. It's gonna, the dam's going to break for him, and he's going to start winning game after game once he gets the personnel there that can run his offense. Remember his first year in Atlanta, didn't quite have the offensive line he wanted or needed, didn't have the – because he wants to run his system, and you know how I feel about that. I say you, you, you do what you can with the guys you have, but he's committed to that system, and once he gets the players who can run it and they get the experience running it, watch out. It's going to be the 2016 Falcons all over again. Game of the week was Chargers-Jaguars. Went to overtime. Very exciting game. Especially the past couple of minutes, last couple of minutes of, of regulation. That Although it had that horrible moment where Tashawn Gibson scored a touchdown after recovering a fumble and the league office overturned it without any evidence of clear and obvious error by the officials who called it a touchdown on the field. All right, those are the awards. To summarize, Adam Thielen, Offensive Player of the Week, Adrian Claiborne, Defensive Player of the Week, Alvin Kamara, Rookie of the Week, Kyle Shanahan, Coach of the Week, Game of the Week, Chargers, Jaguars, Win of the Week, Saints over the Bills. Before we go, I promise to answer some questions. And I am in the process of pulling up the tweet that asks the questions. And, and again, I don't look at these in advance. So let's see what they have to say today. Hi, Mike, how's your day? Oh, that's my son. <laughs> it's it's fine how's your day son now please let me work at Faisal Morali why do you put up with so much BS I feel bad for you sometimes I, I don't I really don't think I put up with much BS right I mean look I don't mind that people go on Twitter or go to PFT on the comments page and disagree with me or call me bad names I mean, I get paid. I really don't work for a living. And I know early on in this business when I, w- I, I, I'm still very critical when I feel like I need to be and it rubs some people the wrong way. And, you know, I'll go to some events and I can tell when there's maybe a coach that isn't happy with me and, you know, maybe somebody else I, I, I said something critical about, you know, Bro Cream, Ben McAdoo, he'll probably punch me in the face somewhere. Joe Houlihan, Hallahan, O'Callahan, Callahan of the Packers. Although I wouldn't, at least with Cutter, I'll know it's coming. Or Ben McAdoo, I'll know it's coming. Dirk Cutter, another one that would probably want to punch me based upon. Uh, I, I may tell a Dirk Cutter story here one of these days. That, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tease for those of you who listen to this every day. There may be an interesting Dirk Cutter one, story one of these days coming up. But Ben McAdoo may punch me in the face. I would know what was coming, and, and maybe his hand would glance right off because it's covered in brill cream, but but uh, Joe Callahan, I wouldn't I wouldn't know it's coming. Hey, hey, who's this guy? Hey, nice to meet you. Pow. I'm Joe Houlihan. I mean, Hallahan. I mean, oh, you got me messed up now. So anyway, what's my point? Oh, I don't mind it because here's the thing. When I practiced law, when you practice litigation, any of you out there who've practiced law or are practicing law, you know what I'm talking about here. Half the people you deal with hate you. They're supposed to hate you, right? And half the people you deal with love you because you're advancing their cause. And and the only thing you have to do is make sure the people who are supposed to love you don't hate you. That's it. And you accept the fact that half the people you deal with are going to hate you. So anything less than 50% hate me, that's a pretty good day. So thank you for your concern, Faisal. I don't think I put up with much BS, but let's 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 defer a final answer until I look at the rest of the questions for today. 
Faisal has another question. Do you think that RG3 being tried out by the Chargers and not Kaepernick, is that part of his collusion grievance? I, I think that if I'm Mark Garagos, I, I, I consider that as, as a piece of evidence. It's not an overwhelming piece, but the fact that even RG3 got a look from the Chargers and Kaepernick didn't, I, I think that that's, uh, that's interesting, to say the least. Because you would think they'd be interested in both. If they're interested in one, they'd be interested in both. Terry Gensler, should quarterbacks get extra work in the offseason like pitchers and catchers do in baseball? More offseason work would mean better quarterback play, which means better games. Hey, look, I got no problem with that. The reality, that, and it's a good question. Thank you. That's not some of the BS I have to put up with. The, the, the challenge now will be because the NFL has given up so much when it comes to offseason workouts, you got to get it back. How do you get it back? You get it back at the bargaining table, and the players may, may not want to give it up. All-star stats are made at all-star stats are made. What are the rules most likely to or should be changed before the 2018 season? Fumble in the end zone, clock runoff, targeting, et cetera, et cetera. Look, they should have a targeting violation. The fumble into the end zone, when it goes to the defense without the defense recovering, you know I hate that rule and it needs to change. Don't get me started. I'm having a decent day and it's going to get worse if I start talking about that rule. And also they really need to reconsider this process of replay reviews at the league office because the current system is not working. We've had three times this year where the clear and obvious standard was not applied properly, and that's three times too many. Uh, at Big Lope 85 is Joe Flacco Elite. Hey, 2012 called. They want their joke back. Uh, at All-Star Stats are made. Another question. I appreciate Hey, you got a lot of, you got a lot of There's a lot of questions today. As recently reported, how would NFL owners push out Jerry Jones from the Cowboys, and what would happen in the wake? Look, it's not going to happen. It would be years of litigation. The procedure would allow the NFL's executive committee to force him to sell. And he's not going to do it willingly. He's not going to do it voluntarily. And then you'd have to find a buyer. And who knows how much it's worth four or five billion. It would be a fight. It was a, it, it's possibly a fight that would exceed Jerry Jones' lifetime. And his son, Stephen Jones, would, would be the one to continue to fight it. it, 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 it they're not going to do it because it would be such a mess. Ah. <sighs> At Valley Man 12, which franchise quarterbacks are the Browns going to miss out on this year? Whoever they don't draft, just assume that that will be the franchise quarterback for 2018 and beyond. At Jacob CLT, is the NFC South the best division in the NFL for the third straight year? I haven't thought about the other two years, but look, they've, they've produced a Super Bowl participant each of the last two. And this year, you've got two seven-win teams. You've got the Falcons at five and four. I'd say, and I'm scanning them real quickly in my brain here, I'd say right now that's the best division in football, top to bottom. At Echo's Egg, how does the contract work with Josh Gordon? Does it pick up from where he was suspended? Basically, it does. And I don't think he's eligible for any type of free agency. His contract, you've got issues where contracts toll and you don't get credit and yada, yada, but he just picks right up with the contract that he had before his suspension of 56 regular season games, and he's not eligible to return until later this month, early next month. At the Impact 99, what are the chances of Kirk Cousins in San Francisco next season and Jimmy Garoppolo elsewhere? Look, I'm not ready to assume that Garoppolo is the long-term answer at quarterback in San Francisco. I call it a rental with an option to buy, and they could use Garoppolo's presence as leverage with Kirk Cousins as they try to work out a discreet behind-the-scenes deal, which would essentially be tampering, but still, they, 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 can, they can explore Cousins' 
while they still have Garoppolo. They can explore Garoppolo while they consider Cousins. They can try to figure it all out, and they should try to figure it all out before the franchise tag deadline. See, from Garoppolo's standpoint, he doesn't need to do anything. He just needs to sit back and say, hey, you know what? I'm either going to hit the open market or you're going to use the franchise tag. I'm not interested in talking contract. And if you want to talk contract, the franchise tag is the starting point. Because until the deadline for the application of the franchise tag arrives, that's my leverage. So that day has to pass without you using the franchise tag on me before I'll accept any contract valued less than the franchise tag as a starting point of $23 million for this year and then a 20% raise for the next year and a 44% raise for the year after that. The problem is, once that deadline passes, the 49ers have no way to keep him from hitting the open market. This is going to be delicate. And there are agents who firmly believe that you must force the application of the franchise tag. You can always sign the long-term deal later. But when you're talking about a guy who's going to play another 10 years or more, you force application of the tag every chance you can. Because when the third application comes around, regardless of how many different teams you've played for, that's when you unlock that 44% bump. So if you can get the, the tag applied twice, as a practical matter, you're never going to get the tag applied again, and you're going to hit the open market. So if I'm Don Yee, I tell the 49ers, I don't want to do a long-term deal. I'll do it after you apply the franchise tag, or I'll hit the open market. That's that. He has all the leverage. And if he walks away, the 49ers would get roughly a third-round compensatory pick in 2019, to offset the second round pick they're giving up in 2018. It would be a low three versus a high two, though. So it's more like a two round difference instead of one. All right. You know what? I got to go. And uh, I appreciate everyone's time today. I, I like to I like to finish with more of a flourish. I apologize. But I, I got some stuff to do. I got to hit the road here. And uh, thank you for your time. And as always, if you've listened this deep, it means you like it or you just fell asleep. Wake up. Uh, especially uh, just wake up. And then go subscribe to PFTPM, rate PFTPM, and review PFTPM. And also, one last reminder, harrys.com slash PFT. Go there and uh, get your free trial pack. We'll do this again on Wednesday. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great evening. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.